the world is built for tall people. I think it's up to the little person to carve their own way. Clinton got the deluxe package. He had club feet, dislocated hips, dislocated knees. He had severe scoliosis and kyphosis. Scoliosis is the S of the spine. The kyphosis is the bowing of the spine. I've had 30 surgeries, 30. At the end of the day, I feel it's made me the strong person that I am. I work in finance for a cable television company. I think naturally, habitually, I've always been somebody who wanted to get up, go and tackle the world, you know, make an impression. At the same time that the Towers became a family, I met my future wife. And at that point in time in my life, I didn't know if I was ever going to find a significant other. And when I met Sophia, there was no other question. I couldn't ask for anything more. my clothes folded and my coaching outfit. I got it made. I got it absolutely made. Thanks, babe. Thank you. I'm a lucky man, brother. How are you, everyone? My name is Clinton Brown. I am coming to you from Long Island, New York. I am a businessman, uh, a, a, a realtor, a hockey fan, and a, a lifelong uh, family member of the Companions in Courage. I have diastrophic dwarfism. Um, I live here with my wife and my beautiful boy, Logan, and um, everything else outside of that is, is pretty much standard. <laughs> so Clinton, only three or 400 people in the world are born with diastrophic dwarfism. Were the doctors prepared for you when you were delivered? And, and what about your family? Yeah, so, so Jim, in the early 80s, there wasn't, there wasn't much information uh, in the medical journals about diastrophic dysplasia. One of the rarer forms, um, probably number four or five on the, um, on the rarest, uh, list of, of dwarfisms, there's over 200 forms of dwarfisms. Um, and so when there's only three or 400 of you around, you really can't get away with much out there. But, um, you know, my parents had a, had a paragraph, a paragraph that was read to them in 1981. Um, it was written semi-bleak uh, and didn't really provide much hope. Um, and they learned along the way and, and they, they really trusted um, trusted in the process and, and had faith in, um, in, in God that he would take care of them and take care of me and, um, and, and just allow love to, uh, to win over. Well, their love for you was manifested uh, by the, the amazing number of surgeries you were forced to go through 
and how many different hospitals you were in. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how many surgeries, the hospitals that you did go to, and what gave you the will to overcome all of that when there had to be days when you just felt like giving up. What, what drove you forward every day? And, you know, tell us a little bit about your hospital experience. Yeah. So, so diastrophic dysplasia is a, is a dwarfism that, that not just um, makes you shorter, but it also causes um, a twisting and a bending of the bones at the, where the joints are. So it, that causes a lot of disruption with, with my hips, my knees, and my back. So it required a lot of skeletal dysplasia, orthopedic surgeries between the ages of birth and 15. I would say for that time period, I was in and out of the hospital for just about half of my life. Um, so unfortunately, it became a very, very common place for us to go back to. Um, I think it was obviously necessary and it's very difficult to explain that to a child uh, at that at that time to to allow them to get over the fact that they just want to be home playing with their friends. Um, so there were a lot of surgeries. There were a lot of sleepless nights. There were a lot of nights looking up at the ceiling, counting the dots on the hospitals uh, on the drop ceiling, and just to just to meditate, just to get through. And you know, tears were shed over and over again, uh, really just because as the person going through it, you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know when, when that, when the, when that isn't going to happen anymore. Right now, medical practices and, and orthopedics are, are the best they've ever been. And, um, we're, we're doing things with people's bodies, allowing them to have the independence that we weren't able to do 40 or 50 years ago, uh, 60 years ago. So I was, fortunate to have been born, I think, at that time. I've seen pictures of you, must have been in between those surgeries, because it was around that time. You were just like another kid in the neighborhood. You're playing hockey with the guys, and you're, you're involved with everything. How did, how did that all happen? So most kids were taking weekend trips to their uh, travel baseball games, but we were taking weekend trips down to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to, uh, you know, to get my body fixed up. So um, we became best friends with all the doctors and nurses and we were able, I was able to keep friendships with my neighborhood buddies and my, and my family uh, and the kids in my family. And so we, we, they, I think my, my, the people around me always made sure my parents uh, that, that I had that, th those friendships to go back to. Um, it was very what's, important, it was very important. What's really interesting is your love of sports. You, you're passionate about basketball, baseball, hockey, so many different things. How did you develop those passions for sports? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I used, I think I was very strategic growing up. So I always wanted to try to figure out how things were done. And so I, I, it, it ended up kind of going into video games. So that was where I could compete. So I could compete on the video game platform rather than, in the in the uh, in the parks or in the streets or on the driveways uh, on rollerblades, so that was the level playing field that I was able to say, "All right, I can't do this, but I can do this." What was your go-to game as a kid? Well, my go-to game were were um, double dribble and blades of steel. 
<laughs> Blades of Steel. I and you know, I, you know, as a kid, you could you could do things over and over again. So repetition is just every. So I could watch a movie three hundred times. I could play until my fingers fell off, and um, you know, it was it was also kind of how me and Pat Lafontaine became buddies. I was going to ask you that you you somehow or another you have managed to meet. A, a host of famous people yeah. and I, i'm just curious do you still stay in touch with any of the people that you met when you were younger i do i do um i stay in touch with pat patty the most um because he stays in touch with me um i look back at pictures and i look back at events and people i've met who were wonderful and i think of genuine people I think of just being met with uh, kindness and being met with athletes who wanted that sense of normalcy in their life. And so as an adult right now, I look back and I say, you know, maybe I was helping them as much as they were helping me in a weird way of going back to their own childhood and remembering what it was like to be a precocious excited kid who just wanted to, to play sports. I'm, I'm curious now that you're an adult, you're 39 years old. Do you feel that you are now a role model to young kids? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really am, am, am trying my best and my wife is to, to be a role model for other little people. Um, uh, you know, and, and just show them that there's a few things going on. You have a future. You have a wonderful future. You have a bright future. There, there are opportunities. There are opportunities out there for you. You could be a doctor. You could be a teacher. You could be an attorney. Uh, you could be a sports agent. You can work. You could be a trainer for, for a team. You could be in communications. You could be a writer. Um... There are so many opportunities and, and with the rise of the internet and the rise of technology, which has been a real, real level set for people with disabilities, um, there's a bright, bright future. You could have families. You don't have to listen to what people tell you that doesn't make you feel good. Uh, it's You can go where you want to go if you see it. Now, you're, you've become kind of an elder, okay? I mean, it's hard for you. You're still a kid to me, but you become an elder in the little people community. Yes. And, and I, I'd like to know, first of all, how empowering was it the first time you got together at a little people's convention? And secondly, what kind of resources are available to young little people, uh, you know, who may be going through a tough time right now? So what going to a little people convention was an eye opening experience because for the first time I wasn't, I wasn't different for the first time I blended in and for the first time I could be anonymous. Now that's an amazing feeling. Um, and sometimes people with, with, with physical differences, when they walk into a room immediately, they're, they're no, they're noticed and they're pitied. Um, so this was a wonderful group for me to break into somewhere around 19, which was a real, a real turning point in my life because I needed that. I really needed that. Um, and at and and sports were a part of it, so I immediately got involved in 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 creating a basketball team, 
at the little people of America because that was really what I wanted to be involved in. I wanted to be involved in athletics. I wanted to be involved in sports. And it created uh, a friendship. It created a family for me that I was longing for. And, um, you know, for other little people right now in the community, um, to answer the second part of your question, uh, the group has grown to over 6,000 members. And um, the, the good thing about social media is there are so many positive uh, stories and positive um, depictions of little people now that you can find that that, that is a good thing. Because when, when you see somebody who looks like yourself uh, successful, you can then see yourself in that person. And, and that's, the, that's really the, the power of the role model. And if Sophia, my wife, can, can be an actress and go on stage and get roles and get turned down, but also get accepted, and that's the way life goes, and that's just how, and, and really do it, man, I can do it too. Well, you know what? You talk about Sophia, and, and it's a remarkable love story that the two of you got together and you're both so powerful in your own right as advocates for little people. But, but you know, you're, both of you are also role models for full body people. I have to think that for your son, Logan, who's now not quite a year old, what a different world it is for him to come into than the one that you and Sophia did, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Very much different. And, and I think one of the main differences is in my, in our house, in my house growing up, I always had support. I always had support, but once I left those walls, I did not have that support. So, and, and I think people are much more understanding and accepting of people with differences now, which is really amazing, which is wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, I was, when I was in college, I would walk, walk through restaurants or go out with my buddies for a beer and watch a game. And uh, there wasn't a time where I wouldn't hear, Hey, look at the midget. There wasn't one night that I wouldn't go out that I would not hear, look at the midget. And I hope that when my son goes to school, he doesn't have to hear that every night. So I don't know any difference. And, and, and it's, um, it's weird. It's weird to be a three foot guy is like, I sometimes equate it to being like a seven footer, you know, and it's, it's because in a weird way, I feel like a celebrity without, without the paparazzi. <laughs> to me, it's a, it's an even playing field. It's mine. You can see the three foot Clint. You can see mine. Um, I can't see yours. I might, I may not. We all have something. So, um, you know, it helps me also have, have empathy for others and, and, and understand that yeah, I just wasn't given a raw deal. Uh, you know, we're, we all have something that we got to battle through. Well, your, your talk today has certainly been an inspiration to pediatric patients everywhere. I think you've given hope to any child who is in the hospital right now, or as you know, many children go back multiple times to the hospital and sometimes they just need that little pick me up before they go back in and say, hey, you know what? 
I can get through this. And when I do get through this, I have a whole life in front of me. I'm, I'm so glad you shared your story and your, and your motivation with everybody today. I kept, you know what, Jim, I kept, I kept hope and I kept the future bright and I stayed excited. So I think the key is really stay excited, stay excited because there's so much more that are going to make you smile. And, um, as I got older and, and still had surgeries, um, I just, I just learned to understand that I was going to come out of this stronger. Well, you have, and you know what, by you doing that, you make everybody that knows you stronger. And, and Sophia, the same, the two of you are both, as I said before, your role models, not just for little people, your role models for everybody, both of you. And, and, you know, your, your enthusiasm for life is something that I think people forget sometimes. And, and you gave them a great reminder today. So on behalf of everybody who's watching this today, thank you so much and keep going over that horizon because you have so many more chapters to write. I'm so excited for you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for all of the patients out there who have taken a break and, and are listening to this and are excited about life. Stay excited, stay smiling and, and be there for the next person who's in your spot. Put a hand out and let them know that, um, that, there, that there's a light out there. I guarantee it'll, it'll pay off. Thank you.